Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And your co-host, Tom. And we're joined today by a special guest, friend of the podcast. Yeah, Ryan Ryan Milligan. Ryan Milligan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I I know it's been quite a little bit of a phone tag thing. You guys have been trying to get this together for like a month or even more than that. I kind of feel bad about dodging it for so long, but I'm glad we finally made it work out. Yeah, me too. Tom's always like, hey, Ryan and Alyssa might get on. Ryan and Alyssa might get on. I'm like, okay. When are they getting on? He's like, oh, they're busy. this I'm like, okay, hey, I know how it goes. It's like, I can't, I can hardly keep my month straight anymore. It feels like time has just flown by and you guys are planning a wedding or getting ready to get married in a few months. So I'm, I'm sure that's hectic. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So we're, we're happy to have you on. Um, and of course we had your sister on, uh, a few, was that, no, that was a month ago. Holy crap. I'm losing no, like, does, it doesn't feel that long ago, but we're excited to uh, be graced with the presence of another Milligan on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, let's start first. I just want to uh, maybe get a little bit of background. Um, grown up, I'm assuming you were homeschooled too. And then, so maybe we could talk about that, hobbies, what you're interested in, and then we'll get into your schooling at WCC a little bit. So yeah, just give us a run, like the, the, like elevator, the elevator brief on uh, who Ryan Milligan is. Yeah. So similar to my sister, Moira, uh, grew up in the same household, obviously uh, one of 14 kids, mainly high school, but I also did like, once I hit, uh, sorry, mainly homeschooled. Once I hit high school, I did some, uh, classes with two different colleges near our house, as well as an online program with Hillsdale College. Um, and then there was also a Christian high school in town that I took courses with as well. So kind of a hybrid. Uh, but if I had to like say a hard one or the other, it's, it would definitely like tend towards homeschooling. Um, a lot of my siblings, most of my siblings attended WCC or Wyoming Catholic College. Um, I personally was very opposed to going there at first. Uh, and it took a lot of warming up and it took visiting the college and it took competing in the competition for some scholarships and there's a lot of discernment and thought about it and i was like okay well let's give it a shot and i kind of had the mental attitude of like i'm gonna give it a year and i'll probably bounce after freshman year uh and then freshman year flew by and i was like okay all right, I'm, gonna just, I'm gonna keep going and then before i knew it i was i was graduating so i guess that happened yeah yeah that's all yeah that's it's kind of it's it's kind of it's kind of funny how like especially when you have a bunch of older siblings go to a school or do something like how, and I'm the oldest, so I don't understand this, but my younger siblings try to tell me this. It's like, I'm not going to follow in your footsteps. I want to go like, you know, do my own thing, find my own, like find my own way. Uh, And, and sometimes I try to remind them, you know, you get to learn all these lessons from me. <laughs> so why not take the easy path and just follow behind me draft it's like uh there's the the term in uh biking where you draft off somebody and they basically like break the wind for you so like you have it uh-huh. easy and it's like 20 percent easier because you're behind somebody so i just i just tell them listen just fall behind me and it'll be like 20 to 30 percent easier for you um yeah yeah for sure. they like they like they like to tell me that they learned from all my mistakes and i've made a lot so 
I uh, I can imagine that I can imagine that you probably with quite a few ahead of you probably had had plenty to learn from. Yeah, no, for sure. Having a lot of older siblings was like a great example and a like super helpful roadmap for life. I think like the the younger siblings complaint that your younger siblings have. There was a dude dirt biking around the house. Right <laughs> no worries. I don't know if that's cutting off the recording or anything, but um, no worries. Yeah, but the other thing is you arrive and the people that, you know, were under my other siblings, you know, classes under them, you know, they're coming like, hey, you must be a Milligan. You're like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> like, I know all about you. You know, that's a lot of leverage just hanging out there somewhere. So, yeah. 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 You mentioned Hillsdale College. That's so funny. I actually, um, I grew up in uh, Iowa first six years of my life I lived in Iowa so I shouldn't say I grew up in Iowa but I was born in Iowa and lived there for six years my best friend while I was in elementary school actually his dad is a professor they ended up moving to Michigan because uh, his dad's a professor at Hillsdale College um, I don't know if you know Nathan Schleter he was a professor there I don't know exactly what he teaches I have I haven't yeah, talked to him in a while does it sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, I think I've that name before. Okay. Um, I I didn't do anything with. I don't think I got any classes from him, but I okay. I think I saw that name on the okay. on the registry or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's I. It's always funny when I hear Hillsdale College. I'm like, oh, uh, I know a lot of people that have either gone there for a class or two, or you know. It's, it seems like it's a pretty decent school. How was your experience there in high school? I mean, it was, it was online. So sure, 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 it wasn't sure. like, but I mean, I really enjoyed the, just the fact that we're reading, like I'm always, I'm all about reading like basic documents and original mm -hmm. documents mm -hmm. as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, getting somebody's take on a Federalist paper, for example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's like, no matter how hard you try, you're going to filter it through your personality, through your political ethical religious views and so reading it straight and then like maybe hearing the professor talk about it and writing papers on it i really enjoy that kind of thinking because that allows you to sort of like get the get the news straight from the horse's mouth if you will so i honestly it was overall a, a great experience yeah that's that's really cool and that's something i feel like that's lacking in a lot of education settings is like you're just spoon-fed something that somebody else wrote about and they wrote about something that somebody else wrote about something that they wrote about the original source. So it's like, it's like, it's like the game of telephone. Like it's so far removed from the original source that it's like complete nonsense by the time it gets to you. And so like, I don't know, it's just, it's not as beautiful or unique and you're not getting the true sense of what that person who originally wrote it was trying to convey. So that's, yeah, I think that's a cool, that's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the other thing I really enjoyed about it was just growing in the writing ability, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think if you're writing in one particular field, it's very easy to get comfortable. Like if you're always writing research papers, you'll get really good at it, but you won't be able to say anything like profoundly original. And I'm not going to mm -hmm. like claim that I've ever said anything profoundly original, you know, at 22, you know, you don't get to say a lot of things that are, you know, completely your own. But being able to like compare and contrast between you know what 
were the founding fathers educated and what were they aiming for? Mm. Just kind of like, yeah, that experience was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It helps, it helps you, um, kind of think, think on your own, uh, come to your own conclusions rather than just taught to being taught to regurgitate things, which is most education nowadays. It's just regurgitating the facts that you've been cramming for the course of a semester. Um, but it's yeah, like, yeah, a lot of no. Go ahead. I was gonna say a lot of st- a lot of states are starting to drop, not a lot, but states are starting to drop uh, college degree requirements for jobs because they're realizing that yeah, the educational system is not to get like heavily political right away, but a lot of the educational system is yeah uh, a, a a mass regurgitation of information mm-hmm. and not really the formation of the intellect or creating workers who are able to think of their own feet and, you know, make ethical or just technical decisions on their own. Yeah. I think it was actually, I was reading this somewhere. I, uh, this is bad that I'm not remembering where, um, so I won't be able to cite it in our show notes, which I usually like to do, but I was reading that, um, one of the Rockefellers, I think it was and this, this is going to, it's completely offhand. Um, but one of the Rockefellers was actually the one to the, design the modern education system, uh, especially like grade school and high school. And the way it was designed is basically to create the perfect worker. Um, and it wasn't designed to develop people with critical thinking skills that were able to become highly successful. It was basically just to create a cog. Um, which is kind of crazy to think about that. That's like the, that same structure is used nowadays for almost all education across the board. Um, but it does show because the, the lack of critical thinking skills is like so prevalent. Like if you ask somebody to have a debate with you on any topic, even one that they might find that or think they're very passionate about, it's so difficult for them to present a logical argument and be able to defend their art, even if they have an argument or a belief, they can't defend it at all. So it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty crazy to see how lacking the youth are in that, in that regard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you don't tell someone that the two most powerful things that they can get out of the education that they're going to receive are being able to speak and write well, mm-hmm. then they're not going to invest in it. Right. Like if I just give you a rock and say, here, Aiden, here's a rock, good luck. And you're just in, like, you're just going to chuck it. Right. But if I say here, Aiden, here's a rock with like <clears throat> a bunch of gold ore in it, like you're going to say, wow, I got to do a lot of work to get this out and clean it and use it and invest it in whatever the heck you want to do with it. But like essentially when you devalue how someone looks at the educational system or how they look at the way it's impacting them, then they're not going to be motivated to execute anything with excellence. And, mm-hmm. and therefore they're going to use Quizlet, you know, or yeah. an AI generator for their papers, you know, like, mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't actually understand that they have something that's worth pursuing. And so yeah. you just get a cog. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Is that what attracted you to WCC? You said you weren't too sure about it. You're kind of on the fence, even first, sem- like first semester, first year. And then that kind of changed. Is that what like 
kept you there? Is that what kind of drew you in eventually? Yeah, it is essentially uh, the pursuit of um, mastering your own mind in a way. Um, and that's something that you're not going to really get, you know, at most other schools. But Wyoming, it, Wyoming Catholic is incredibly rigorous. Um, it's incredibly developmental and it's not easy and and there was a lot of times where i was like i don't really want to be here anymore because this is so hard um and i think the reason it kept me there was because it was so hard you know and and maybe it's a little bit more of a stoic view to say you know it's good because it's hard um, but i think the way you know we work these days and the way our minds work a lot of times if it is hard for you there's a pretty good chance that it is actually also good for you depending what you do with it. Um, so yeah, the very countercultural method of approaching education and self self development uh, was what kept me there. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that, I think we talked about this a little bit actually with your sister. Um, we were talking about going through those difficult challenges um, in life present a lot of opportunity to learn. Um, and learn about who you are as a person. And those really shape where you end up in life. Um, so that's, that's really cool. Did, was, was that the first time, like, like, that's not something that's, I feel like, especially now, that's not something kids are taught how to deal with. They're not taught how to deal with hardship. They're not taught, not taught to fight or, or really work through a problem that they're faced with, work through a challenge that they're faced with. Um, would you say that your upbringing kind of taught you that? Was it your parents? Like, that's not something that every person has. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, I definitely think there was a lot of aspects about my, my childhood that really geared me towards that. Um, and I definitely think that my parents were excellent at not, not in their own words, but I suppose in my own words, like allowing a child to do something dangerous if they're doing it carefully. Uh, and that's where you're gonna, like that's where education starts. You know, when you're a kid who's just learned how to walk and you find a hammer and you're like, well, this is a tool. I've seen dad use it before. It's dangerous. I've gotta be careful with it. And then you start to try to learn how to use it as a tool versus like, here is an asphalt or not like an asphalt, like one of those tire ground, you know, play playgrounds where like, it's not even real bark, it's, it's rubber and everything's safe. And, you know, where, where you have a kid who's in an environment where it's like, I will never get hurt. And then, you know, they go out into the real world and they are immediately like allegorically speaking, immediately just totally crushed. Right. Mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. so, and so, yeah, just having the upbringing that I did with um, allowing us to do dangerous things and allowing us to really pursue those kind of things was, probably what predisposed me to that. Um, but I do think there's something in everyone that pushes back against that. So um, everyone is gonna have their own battle, no matter what your raising was, you're gonna have a battle personally to be able to say like, yes, I'm, I'm going to allow myself to take risks and allow myself to, to develop myself in a, in a dangerous way. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, um... You know, the, the more I think about it, like I, I look at a lot of the uh, people I grew up with um, 
and I'm still friends with today. And the people, especially the people that I hold a lot of common out, a common ground with commonality with, um, I would say that is a common theme in all of our upbringings is like our parents weren't the, the helicopter parents, you know, we, we grew up going outside using our imagination, probably getting into a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, not probably what most parents today would like not consider the most like safe environment for children to grow up. I mean, I grew up like I had a tool set by the time I was like three years old because I saw my grandpa and my dad, they had their own tool sets and I wanted my own. Like I had a le- like a legit like mini. My grandpa got it for me when I was like, I think three. It was like a, a, a hammer, a, like it was a hammer, a screwdriver and like this like mini saw. And um, and I also got a pocket knife too. And I remember it like, I think it was like four or five. We were on a family vacation up at this lake and we were with some family friends. And I was running around with this pocket knife. It was like a multi-tool, like a Leatherman. And um, and the, the my friend's mom was like, what are you doing with that knife? Like I was like, I think I was like whittling a stick or something. She took the knife away and she was like, does your mom know you have that? All this, all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, my mom gave it to me. Um, but like the, the difference in upbringing there, like it, I think it raises two completely different people, like one person that's always looking or kind of been inside this like bubble of the helicopter parent, like underneath the helicopter parent. And they really never learn how to think or act for themselves or learn how to work through the mistakes they make. And they're always look, I think a lot of times they look for like that self-affirmation, like, or not self-affirmation, but the affirmation of others. Um, that's one thing I've noticed a lot of people that grow up with a helicopter parent, they're always looking for like affirmation because they always look to their parents for affirmation on whatever they were doing. Um, yeah, so and it's, it's, it's super yeah, interesting. No, no, it's just like, I, I find it super interesting. Like, I don't know, all my, all my friends that are now really successful people and can work through problems all kind of had that similar. That's similar upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you, if you are raised your entire life, you know, I can, can I have, or I want X mm. and you get it from your parent. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, that's the way you look at the world. You ask for something and you get it right. Very mm-hmm. simple. So you go out into the world and your friends aren't affirming you at everything you say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend, like literally cannot keep up with the amount of tension that you need. Like what's going on here? Like, why is the world so messed up? Like, why aren't people affirming me, etc. It's like, well, because you were raised with a certain outlook on life and, and the reality that your life was is just incongruent, right? Like the yeah. reason children should be allowed to read fairy tales is because it is a safe environment, a safe environment in which they are allowed to face scary things in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, no, obviously a witch isn't going to eat you when you go to bed tonight. But at the same time, listening to that allows them to process the fact that no evil exists. There is evil out there. There are things that are co- going to come after you. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you're going to feel alone and you have to keep fighting because we're not going to always be around kid. And I think, you know, who doesn't want affirmation? Who doesn't want to be loved? Yeah. Everyone does. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. as a parent, it's like, I am going to love this child, but in exchange, this child is going to almost find me necessary for life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think some parents think through the, the connotations of doing stuff like that, like long-term, you know, what's your 18 year old going to look like? Are they going to be independent, strong people who look up to their father as an example and their mother as an example? 
or arguing with their parents as support being they need and they can't, you know, that. Yeah. Sorry, that was kind of my spiel on that. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right on. I think you're right on. I think yeah, one one form of parenting creates a, an independent, capable human being and the other type of parenting creates a completely de- dependent um and and lacking in cap- for the most part lacking in capability and that's what you're seeing. I think right now especially is there's a a whole a whole generation that's grown up with um parents that catered to their every needs whether that was to just push them aside and say I don't want to deal with this so I'm just going to give you whatever I whatever you want or it was because their parents didn't treat them well so then in reaction to that they then feel the need to treat their kids like like give their kids everything their kids want and so you're seeing I think you're seeing it right now especially when you see all this like gender affirming stuff um what's going on right now and these people saying you've gotta you've gotta affirm everything i say and do like i think that's why we're seeing that you're you're seeing a whole generation of people that are completely incapable of surviving in this world without any sort of affirmation they have no like they have no self-worth or self they they lack self-worth and self like a self-worth and self-identity yeah, no, I definitely think I agree with that on a lot of levels, and I think uh, I think the the crisis of um, like when when is pain or lack or like pushback gonna be okay? You know, like it, no one has ever said, you know, waking up after a workout, like I am mad that I am sore. You know, mm-hmm. like. That's just not something anyone has claimed or thought would happen, you know, and, and unfortunately growing up and growing in self-consciousness, it's the same thing. Like, and I'm not saying I'm not being like that, you know, old hardened dude who's like, maybe you're traumatized, but just suck it up and like, you know, put it forward or whatever. You'll be fine. It's like, no, maybe you need therapy. Like there is a genuine a genuine case sometimes if you mm-hmm. if you need that and like maybe you even need medication i i'm not sure it's a very very like particular individual to individual kind of thing but i think when you have parents in general that are uh far more geared to um protective raising and by that i mean like shielding their child from reality uh versus taking their child and introducing reality i think there's a big difference it doesn't look very very different sometimes mm-hmm. but i think there's a big difference in that yeah like you're saying i think we're kind of just uh, tossing the ball back and forth here if you will. Yeah, yeah yeah no definitely uh, to we can kind of shift a little bit because i was interested in something you said that you talked about fairy tales and kids um and i want to relate that a little bit back to your your thesis um and i watched it i watched uh, the YouTube video Tom sent me. It was really good, by the way. Um, so, you know, golf clap to you. Congrats. Um, you did yeah. a great job. Um, but I want to talk about myths because I find myths very interesting because I feel like it's like, it's such a like, it's so like to understand what myths are, I think really helps to understand 
who we are as human beings because it's something that's been part of like human nature human like human beings since the beginning of time like myths have been around forever and there's a reason why um so maybe we just start it start out this conversation on myths like how would you define a myth like what is it what is a myth okay uh uh, i don't know what i said in my thesis oration um but there's there's a lot of different terminology you can use to define a myth. But for me, a myth is um, a story or a uh, religious belief that is an aid to defining a culture or cultural belief uh, that is passed down hand to hand and is generally an explanation of the existence of the supernatural or the less known. That's kind of a long-winded version. No, I, 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 I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Cause I think, I think it, I think it is, it's very true. Um, I would like, if you look at any culture oh, and, and the, in the popular, you know, stories that are based around mythology, it's always typically religious. It's trying to explain why are we here? How did we get here? Is there a higher power? Like those are like the common themes. And then along the way, mm-hmm. you know, what can like the stories typically teach us a lot about what is what does it mean to be like a human being or what is the human experience um, and how do we work through that? And I think it's really interesting that so many religions, like all religions have these stories that are passed down. But it's amazing to me, like how similar these stories are. Like when you start to really break them down, like yeah, they're going to have different characters in them, um, and the stories might slightly vary. But when you start to break it down and look at like the humanity of it, and really like break down these stories, like so many of them are similar, which I think is really cool because it shows you that like really as human beings, we're all trying to figure out the same thing, um, and we're all looking towards the skies so to speak to do that for the most part like we're looking for that higher power to explain what it means to be a human um and i think like that's why people are so fascinated with them um because it's i think we realize that there's something more than just us and we're trying to figure that out and that's how it's always been that's why we have mythology yeah, no, yeah, right on the nose, I think, with uh, with that kind of looking at something more universal than particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, the cultures of the world did not get together and have a big, like, okay, guys, what's our story? You know, what do we, what do we got to write down here to, to posterity uh, and beyond to, like, convey what we think? Like, it happened entirely isolated from one another and that's Mm. why that's like the biggest thing to me that's a very interesting phenomenon when you have cultures in africa and cultures in you know greece writing similar mythology Mm -hmm. without any contact with one another you know and it's a, a pretty indicative of something inherent in human nature rather than something that is um taught or assimilated culturally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think it. I think it is really cool. Uh, have you seen, uh, kind of like off topic a little bit, but, um, you know who Graham Hancock is? Have you ever heard of Graham Hancock? I've heard the name. Okay, so the only reason I know about him is because I listened to way too much Joe Rogan, and he got on Joe Rogan several times. And um, that's where it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he talks about this. I he talks about this idea that. The world and human civilization, especially advanced human civilization, is much older than we think it is, and it's very interesting. He's got this. Um, he's got this net. This series on Netflix that he came out with. It's called Ancient Apocalypse. If you haven't seen it, it's really interesting. Like I don't agree with everything the guy says, but like at the very least, it really makes you start to realize that like. as human beings, we, we, we tend to have this very um, tribal approach to the way we live our lives. Um, being that we really just look at the small community that's around us and we tend to hold on to that. But the way Graham approaches this uh, is he, after you get done watching the show, you almost feel like, you know, human beings as a whole are all, and always have been living for the same thing, kind of looking for the same thing, which kind of goes back to this idea of mythology. And it's really interesting because like we have so much commonality, but we spend all our time fighting each other um, because we're so tribal. And um, it, after I watched the show, it was just like it, it a light switch kind of clicked. And I was like, if more people thought this way, uh, meaning that if more people thought as of um, humans as like this singular group rather than a bunch of different tribes with a bunch of different beliefs that you have to fight each other over and steal each other's land over, like we'd be so much better off. We'd be so much happier. Um, but yeah, if you haven't watched it, it's really interesting. And I like the history aspect of it because he talks about all these ancient civilizations um, that are like... 10,000 plus years old and the things they were building at at um these times like archaeologists can't explain it um and it points to probably an ancient a bunch of ancient civilizations that had you know remarkable engineering and all these different things people that built the pyramids um built pyramids before like the great pyramid of giza so like and somehow got wiped off the face of the earth so it's really it's kind of quite interesting uh, especially if you're into mythology too because i think those ancient civilizations play a large role in the stories that were then wrote, you know, thousands of years later too. Um, so anyways, a little off topic, but yeah, I would recommend it. I can send you the link to it if you want. Um, but it's, it's yeah, definitely, yeah, worth, definitely worth a watch. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, the whole universal thing when someone, this is not your message. And it was it was one of your points, but when someone says something like, you know, if we all looked at the same things the same way, um, I would I would just tell them like, are you married? Well then, like, watch your wife closely because if you guys all want the same things, then everyone's gonna be after your wife, right? So there are there are differences. It's it's sarcasm, but like there are differences that are like, wow, that's very interesting. It's like yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we should advocate for war or anything, but like, there's definitely something in the human mind that 
is very geographical or just proximity based, you know. Um, and when you have that situation, you are going to find your environment, be protective about it, and you're not going to want anything else besides what's familiar in there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would say there is going to be very little chance that humanity is ever going to learn to cooperate as a whole Yes. Um, for any yeah. extended period of time. But it would be cool if it yeah, happened. It would be cool but, if it would happen. I think I think what you know would be nice to see is humanity come together on a few different things. Um, and this is all just you know, I, it's all a big wish. But like, I think most. I think what most people can do is we t I think talked about this in the last last podcast, but I think if you go around and you talk to 10 different people, I think most of those people, I would say probably nine out of those 10 people, you could agree with about 90%. And it's harder nowadays, but you could agree with like the really important things in life. Like we all want to be, you provide for our families. We all want to uh, protect our families. Um, and we all kind of want to live a good life. And so I think there's more commonality out there that people can get together on um, or kind of build communities around. And instead of nitpicking these little things that, that we like to nitpick, like, oh, you know, what what um, political organization do you support? Or, you know, what religion are you? And then being like, oh, you don't, you're not the same as me? Like, man, CF, maybe... I think I think people would be better off in that respect. I don't think we'll ever agree on everything, but I think the hope is is that we when looking at each other find more commonality than things to fight over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But do you think that might be um you mentioned this in your ration, Ryan, that there's kind of like this um fear of the unknown, mm. kind of like that chaos. You think that might play into like that tribal mentality like if it's not the order we are used to then we don't want to cooperate with it and we don't want to like change our perspective because it might shatter our order that seems to be working already yeah i there's an aspect of um that mindset that comes from an ability control right like everyone wants control of their life it's it's pretty much what everyone runs after. You know, they try to make money so they can get what they want. They can live where they want. They can eat what they want. They can travel where they want. Um, and and there's always this this pretty pent up desire to be able to, you know, adjust and control our environment. And so I do. I mean, as far as um, community goes, I think, or anything actually, when you have less variables, it's more predictable. Right. So, um, you know, you're always going to have the saying, like, you can't teach old dog new tricks, you know, and when you have someone who's, it's just true that if you're going to have someone who's 60 years old or 70 years old who holds uh, a particular political view, they're going to be a hell of a lot less willing to yield that if, rather than talking to someone who's 20, you know, because they're more fluid, they're more flexible, they've got more, um, sort of instability in their life in general. So they're like, okay, well, what's a little bit more, you know, I'll listen to this person. 
so yeah, I definitely think there's a correlation between uh, opposing something that's new, something that pushes you in one way or the other, uh, and just like chaos. Uh, I mean, think about it. There's definitely uh, maybe you guys have never experienced this, but many people experience trying to achieve excellence in something or betterment in something in the community or group of people. And people are not working against the way, they're not, you know, there's not supposed to be a competition. But then you start trying to get better at it and they see you and they try to push you down from that. You know? Like who who has ever found like the person who's not great in school saying, you know, I love that overachiever, you know, they're great. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's almost always like, man, they suck. You know, they ruin the curve, blah, blah, blah. And it's all these things where it's like, this person is making me push myself and I want to control how I am pushed. And so I'm very uncomfortable with that, you know? Uh, so I, I'm not, that's kind of indirect, but it's sort of talking about like, yeah, when you have instability, from having more input from around you, you're going to try to shrink back into that small community or just into self. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I think it's easier to attack somebody than it is to make yourself better and actually try. <laughs> um, so I think that's part of it. And it is, I, it's like more prevalent now. I mean, and I, I guess I shouldn't say, because I don't know it, but it seems to be more prevalent now that it's when you, especially in popular media, when people see somebody that's successful, like, I don't know, like uh, usually those people are attacked by a group of individuals that are not successful. Uh, I'm just thinking of, I'm, I'm not going to try to polarize us too much here, but like when you, when you start to look at like people, like let's say Elon Musk or like Donald Trump and, and there's a whole group of individuals that are on the other side that all they do is desperately attack them with all these trivial things. You start to look at that group of people and the amount of success that group of people has or where that, where those people's lives are at that point in time. And it, it starts to become this like really sad thing. And I don't know if social, I don't, I want, maybe I'll get your thoughts on social media, but social media has seemed to create this space where it's easier to attack somebody to discredit them than it is to make yourself better to, you know, challenge, like challenge yourself. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like it's easier to get on a comment section, see the person with the private jet and say, you know what, man, you're doing really great. I'm, you know, not doing that great right now, but I want to be like you someday, but instead it's easier to go and say, you know, you're destroying the environment. How dare you? All these other things. Let me, let me find like a, a million different ways to attack you because I think you're a horrible human being like that type of, like, it just seems like social media has created this space. That's made it easier for people to quit at trying to be great and just attack yeah yeah for sure i think i think it's a distraction thing um i think if you really want to test your opposition and really want to find out if you know maybe these people at the protest that are protesting against me have you know a valid point get up and do whatever you're doing early you know if you're giving a lecture or a, a talk or a speech 
or you're doing a presentation, get up early. And if they show up early, maybe you should figure out what's going on over there because that means they're disciplined, right? But a lot of the times, if you want to avoid a protest, just get up early. And a lot of times the opposition is going to be too lazy to get up. Why? Because, you know, they don't schedule when they go to sleep. They don't schedule when they go to like get up in the morning. They don't discipline themselves physically or mentally. And, and I'm not saying like, you know, if you ha are in a hectic stage of your life where you're not going to the gym two to three to four days a week, like, okay, that's fine. But social media allows you to depersonalize the other person. I mean, think about it. You know, the English language is the one I'm familiar with, you know, constantly using. And I can read a sentence from one person and I can read a sentence from another person. And then from a hundred other people, am I really going to be able to pick out if I read a hundred sentences from a hundred people that I knew well, I would bet you a hundred bucks that I could not, or I could probably get 50%, maybe more like, like 10% of like, okay, this person wrote this line, right? So when you pull the personality out of the person's comments or their texts, or maybe they didn't think it through long enough, you know? And so you have this like, I'm more like interacting with this, what you call an interpersonal barrier. I'm not actually relating with the person really. And so, and so you have the situation where um, you're not really actually talking to someone. You're just yelling at a screen. I'm not really, it's just kind of my thought on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think I, I don't know where I read this again. This is just another random fact that floats around my head. Um, but I think, I think it was actually probably on Joe Rogan, but I, I think I heard somewhere you're only able to really ha know, like your, your brain's only capable of really interacting and knowing a, a certain amount of people. I think it was somewhere in like the fifties, I think it was around 50 people. Maybe it's even less than that. I don't know if you guys know. Um, but it makes sense. Like your brain has a limited amount of capacity, especially like when interacting, you think about like the whole tribal thing. I mean, like from the beginning of mankind, it wasn't like we were sitting around interacting with thousands of people at a time or even hundreds of people at a time. Most of the time it was a small group of people that you were around. And so that's kind of how human brains are wired. They're just, they're just not meant to take in that much stimulus from that many different sources. So like, it's almost impossible to have a good conversation with that many people on social media or take in that much stimulus. And I think that's one of the reasons, like, I don't know, that's why I like podcasts. Cause you get to sit down with a few people and really like dive into a, a good conversation. And the conversations that we have on podcasts are thousands of more times valuable than the interactions that we have on social media not to say that the interactions we have on instagram when people say oh you know love what you're doing like that's great and we do appreciate that but like it's so much more valuable when you get to sit down with somebody that's listened to the podcast one of our guests and they say i listened to last week's podcast it was awesome like i love that conversation and then you get to have a conversation with them there's something like so much more valuable there like it's it's a different level of connection Yeah, I think uh, I think another part of that is the um, sort of the the value you also place on things. You know, like a lot of 
I mean, we are way past the industrial revolution right now, but there was definitely like a time where people like, well, if they can make so many so fast, how are they as valuable and how are they as well built as, you know, a bench knife made by this Italian craftsman who's been working at his trade for six generations, you know, his father's father, you know, they, it's been handed down It's an art form. And there's this machine that comes down and cuts it out, you know, like, okay, well, is that as great? Well, it's like, well, what about your words? You know, how many, how many times do you open your mouth and think about it before you say it, or, you know, move your thumbs and think about really like, what are the connotations of what I'm doing right now? You know, I'm going to throw out an insult out there. Does this conversation warrant an insult? No, like obviously not, but I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to do it. Right. So I think there's something in social media that devalues one-on-one -on -one interaction. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where it's like, what, what about the affirmation? Affirmation is important. And I am not going to say that that is in any way a bad thing. It's a very important. But what about an individual? This is just a hypothetical. You know, an individual who receives, who's got like a million followers, okay? And they're constantly like getting likes and getting DMs and all these things from people around them that are not proximate to them in such a way that, you know, if someone actually who obviously needs to work on their interrelationship and they need to like, you know, maybe they have a significant other, you know, and that person is not as good at interacting. And that one individual is literally competing with a million people to give their significant, like their girlfriend or their boyfriend, whoever that influencer is, as much affirmation as they're receiving from their platform. You know, and so I'm not saying you shouldn't have social media. I personally, I have Facebook to keep back, like track of like nephews and nieces. I haven't posted in a while. It's like, I feel like an old man even saying that. Cause you know, I'll talk to someone my age and they're like, you have Facebook? Like, what is this? They're like, it's like, yeah, I just use it for whatever. Um, but when you have a lifestyle that is built off getting likes, you know, then essentially, you know, that's bread and circus, you know, and, and before long, you're not even personifying yourself to people. You're simply doing what is suggested in the comments and it's getting a little bit of personality touch from you, but it's really not you, you know, you're just, you're just trying to continue to generate that revenue and generate that affirmation, you know, a little long winded, but something that I've thought a lot about, uh, as an impact of social media. Yeah, you, you really become like a slave to it. It, it really creates this. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. It's like so like addictive, um, especially like things like TikTok now are so addictive that you get sucked in. But then that addiction starts to shape who you are as an individual outside of the app. So like instead of just enjoying your nice dinner out, your phone eats first. And I'm literally calling out like every Instagram girl on the face of this planet right now. Um, so I'm probably going to get hate for this, but like, it, it's like the thing or like, trust me when I say this, I'm not in any way hating on Taylor Swift fans right now, because I will get murdered if I say I'm hating on Taylor Swift fans right now, because my girlfriend is a Taylor Swift fan, but <laughs> The amount of posts I saw this week 
from people I knew in Chicago that went to the Taylor Swift concerts on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, where it was just a video of Taylor Swift singing. I was like, okay, so how, and I asked my girlfriend this because she was at the concert. I said, so how much time out of that concert did you spend videotaping the concert? She's like, I, I don't know. I was like, so how many minutes of video do you have? And I added them up and there was like 20 minutes of video. And I was like, you realize that 20 minutes of video. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be mean here, but that 20 minutes of video was 20 minutes. You weren't there in the moment experiencing. And I don't like Taylor Swift. So, I mean, I really wouldn't care, but I'm assuming if you're at a Taylor Swift concert, and you paid several hundred dollars for a ticket. You're there to experience Taylor Swift. But yet you wasted it because you wanted to capture it on your phone so everybody else could know that you're at the Taylor Swift concert and then experience it. But like that to me just puts it in perspective of how like attached we are and how enslaved we are to our devices. Like you would rather let the whole world, you know, see what you're doing. You'd rather do that than experience in the fullest the thing you claim to love so much. And maybe that's just my cynical approach. And maybe this is my, maybe this is just me hating because I've seen too many Taylor Swift posts in the last like five days. Like it could be that I'm just putting that out there. It, it could be, it could be my, my um, hidden hatred for Swifties, but I don't know what you guys think. Like, I think that's just like, it, it shows you how, I feel like it shows you how enslaved people are. What are you guys thoughts? Maybe I'm totally off. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of validity there. I think someone would also say like Snapchat, you know, I like keeping up with my friends and also seeing like what they're doing. Like, okay, cool. I'll give you that. And like, but at the same time, like, you know, if I go backpacking with you, your phone's going away. Like you're shutting that off and it's going away and you're not pulling it out. And sure, you could take a picture of the top of the mountain, a picture. Like if I, if I see like a selfie stick and you're vlogging, like <laughs> that phone is going in the nearest lake that we come across because at that point it's like, well, what are you? Yeah, exactly. Are you, are you acting out of self-development or are you acting out of affirming something that's not complete, you know, like that's for kids. Kids bring you a really like crummy drawing of a house with like a dog, the mom, dad, and the kids all holding in the front lawn, like two dimensional, very simple, like a crummy drawing in comparison to like any actual artist. But it's amazing because the child is learning to do something, right? But I'm not going to affirm you because you learned how to purchase concert tickets, you know, or became a fan of a particular artist. Like, that's awesome. Like, if that's what you love to do, great. And if we have a conversation about it one day, like, that's also great. And I do think there is a place for influence. Like, I genuinely think, like, this is what you're doing right now, you know? You're trying to influence people out there uh, by having this. Um, but I think when it becomes... Like I'm, I'm like in a place where it's, you know, it's not that social media is entirely evil and it's not that it's totally good. It's if you use it correctly, it can be edifying. It can be good for you. It can be a way to connect with people. But if you let it take a hold too much, then it'll eventually, you know, end up ruling you and you'll end up doom scrolling until 1am 
and if you are asked like okay what's your friend up to you know and like okay, i can't remember which video was that you know like these things where it's like okay in the end you're just getting a dopamine input and you're actually not getting anything out of it yeah, that's very wise i like how you talked about the the true good thing of like the kid making that picture for his parents showing them that he's trying to excel in something and even though his efforts haven't come in the result that's let's say spectacular at least he's trying to become better and from his age it's very admirable whereas like if you're just on social media and you're just there to like put something up you're not even being that creative you're just kind of taking a picture of you doing something and hoping that someone will give you a thumbs up for doing that and it's almost like you're just trying to live through that fake reality and hope that you get friendship but you're really just making those like distant proxy friendships that don't really have any meaning there's nothing that's going to give you i would say like a lasting piece of goodness from it it's just like you're there you want someone to like you being there in hopes that that's a good way to be. Hmm. Yeah. It is interesting. I was just thinking about, yeah, that picture too. Because one of my, actually my most like, yeah, I'll say it's one of my most prized possessions. It sits on my desk uh, at work. Is a little frame photo my brother drew probably when he was, so my brother's 10 years younger. So he's probably like six. And he drew this picture. And I think about this because I have several pictures of, family at my desk at work but the one that I always like love looking at because I'm like it I feel like I have the most connection to it which is odd because the other pictures are actually like real photographs of my family but this is the one I feel like I have the most connection to picture my brother drew when he's probably yeah six and it's of me and him and we're both like wearing like I think baseball hats and have baseball gloves and I mean it's it's not it's it's the picture a six-year-old would draw. It's like a little stick figure with a baseball bat. And, and I don't know, it's just, it's something about that photo or that drawing that like reminds me, like I have a little brother out there that's looking up to me. And I look at that photo and I think more about my little brother than when I look at the photo, the actual photograph of him. Like I can, uh, that, that photograph that he drew me in some way, has more of a like a, a profound effect on me mentally than any any time I see him uh, like anytime my mom posts something of him on on social media it reminds me more of him in that drawing than um, basically anything else would other than just seeing him you know like I, I think that's something really cool especially like when a kid does it and gives you something they drew they might just I think you know my girlfriend's a a teacher and she teaches third grade and she was always the happiest when she'd come back and she'd have like something the kids drew for her. And so she'd get like a pile of drawings and she'd be like, Oh, isn't this? And she keeps them all. And she's like, it's so special when a kid, like, it's such a, it's such a, um, what's the word? It's such an accomplishment for them. They're so excited about it. And you get to share in that excitement. And it's just a really beautiful thing. Like, it's this beautiful moment. And that kid may never remember it, but the teacher always will. 
And I think that's something that's really cool. Um, and I think those types of interactions are so valuable and we just don't experience them now with everything being so digital um, or we don't experience them as much as we used to. And maybe that's just me being nostalgic, but I do kind of feel that way. Say a little bit more about, uh, like kind of put in a nutshell precisely what you like are saying we are missing more of these days or what you miss more of. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, I think that I think the genuine interaction, I think so much interaction today is, I guess it feels more disin, disingenuous, like it's just being thrown out there for the masses. There's less one on one interaction, like instead of having a instead of even texting or calling your friend instead you're throwing something out there on social media for all your friends to see so then it, it becomes this it becomes this game of like you're not really having an, a personal interaction with one person you're just throwing things out there for all of your friends to see so then this interaction you're having really isn't an interaction it's just you I guess throwing information or a picture out there. I don't know if that makes sense. It just seems less genuine. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like we were talking about earlier with like the the amount of people that you can memorize, like facially and like by name, memorize mm -hmm. uh, is generally going to be a lot smaller than the amount of people that you're going to find in the average teenager, like platform on Instagram or, mm. or whatever they're using. Mm -hmm. um, and so essentially it's like, you're, you're not going to have someone who you get close enough with, mm -hmm. you feel comfortable fighting with or laughing with in a genuine way or interacting in a way where like, actually they just criticize me and they've got a valid criticism, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a situation these days where, People are so afraid of pushing comfort zones, you know, mm. and and that's when you have social media and you have it's not a cause of social media. It's certainly not um, the only effect of social media, but I would say perhaps one of the side effects of social media mm. is yeah. you have a lot harder time forming genuine relationships with people because it's an out right like this week or whatever when you interact with people around you if you go to dinner with someone if you go out to breakfast if you're talking with someone in the office watch to see when a silence laps they'll check their phone mm -hmm. they might not be doing anything they might be on their calculator you know but they're going to pull their phone out and they're going to look at it because very rapidly when you have this thing in your pocket it becomes a coping mechanism just like maybe when you were in high school twiddling a pencil in your fingers was or you know, scratching your nose, you know, it comes this mechanism where it's like, okay, there's an uncomfortable silence and I'm not going to like ask this person a question that might make them uncomfortable. I'm just going to look at my phone, you know, hmm. and then on top of 
you know, you have that. And then you have a situation where it's uncomfortable. You're not, you don't know this person well enough to say something, you know, maybe that's even a sibling, uh, but you don't feel comfortable challenging motives, thoughts, actions uh, in such a way that potentially could jeopardize the relationship. It's just not worth it. Yeah, it's like almost like that fear of being seen. It's like if you're on social media, you can take a picture of even like a short video. And in that you can filter yourself as being what you want to show others to be. But if you're around somebody and there's a chance of that facade falling away, it makes you very uncomfortable because you don't know what they're going to react to that. Because if there's something that you're not proud of yourself, when someone else sees that, there's like that, I guess, uh, fear of judgment or that deeper sense of rejection that I think people don't want to face because it is difficult, but at the same time, when you're able to face it, though, that's when the next story of like a genuinely good relationship is going to get out. Yeah, I think. Um... I think there's something very, very true when you look at um, someone's ability to interact and their consumption of screen time, essentially. And I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers are nowadays, but at some point, the average 12-year-old consumed something like six hours a day, you know, just like obscene amounts. And you can... Just Google it and you'll get the numbers or whatever. Um, but Tom, do you want to talk a little bit? I, I'm really interested in, like, this is kind of ties into my thesis a little bit. Um, like when you have your ego and your persona, the, the larger the gap between those two things, the more unhappy and more like alone you're going to feel. Um, so I was just wondering if you could like talk a little bit more about what you were saying with like the distancing of the persona from other people or the ingenuineness, I guess, essentially. Yeah, it's actually um, something I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, were you at Catherine Boucher's oration, Ryan? Um, I don't think I was. Okay. If I was, I mean, I th actually, I think I might have, I might have been there. Yeah, I think I was. She was talking about the idea of truly being seen, like the idea of shame. Like yeah, yeah. If you do something that you're not proud of and you want to hide, you don't feel like someone else will accept you afterwards. But the, the gift that God gave us is that um, he still wants to be with us and look at us even though we have done those things. And he gives that through the crucifix. Like, he became the image of what we're afraid to be so that we can look at that image and then be sanctified. So I know personally that I've dealt with this in lots of different ways, but like if there's like something that you know as like irrational fear or like let's say you have this bad habit of like something simple as an example, like you just like to rub your hands constantly, you'll notice like if you're on people, you'll feel uncomfortable because you don't know how to stop it. 
and you know other people are noticing it, so you don't really want to be around them because you don't want them to have a negative image of you. But then on a deeper level, let's say um, you have like like a porn addiction or something, you really don't want people to know about that because then you know if they find out, then the good things that you try to present to them, like you say you try to be honest, you try to be outgoing, they'll start to wonder, is that really you? Or is that something that you're trying to show me? And I think there's like that deeper um, realization inside of you that there are dark parts of you that you want to address, but you don't want to let your friends see them just yet because then you're afraid that they'll reject you and then you won't have that ability to keep building that relationship with them. Um, so that's the problem I see. I've been thinking about the solution. I don't know exactly how you fix it, but if you guys have some thoughts. Yeah, um, I was just trying to, I was just trying, um, my mic was being really irritating. Uh, um, the comfortable, like, outlook one has on self-image is generally not going to be very great. Like, maybe you don't have a crippling addiction to, like, porn or, or something else, but you just don't have a lot of respect for your and maybe maybe that's something as small as you know you didn't get enough attention as a kid and therefore it's like okay i have to please people in order to get attention because the only time i got attention from my parents was when i did something like clean the dishwasher or like sweep the floor or something so it's like okay i i get attention from people when i do good things all right so i cannot risk doing something bad like or displaying like you're saying like even just a weird a strange tick you know because i can't lose that um but i think once everyone starts doing that you you build the social construct beyond a healthy point right so it's obviously not expected of someone who goes into a fast food restaurant order their food and sit down with some stranger and talk with them but you should do that at your family dinner table if you're visiting over some break or something and or you're just visiting the house like you're not gonna come to your home after not being there for however long you've not been there and then take your food to the other room right so there's this expectation in your family to build a relationship right and then you go out into, into the world and you start building your own relationships but if you keep those relationships at an arm's length where you're not willing to look weak or look, um, you know, less than perfect, you're never going to look any better than you look now. In fact, you're going to look worse um, because there's just no way to develop yourself um, without the the criticism of others, you know, um, and, and self-criticism, but at the same time, affirming yourself in the fact that it's okay to have those, you know, like when you're constantly feed, it's like getting this feed of people who are always like immaculate looking, you know, they just look amazing, you know, like, does this person just like sleep on the beach, you know, cause they are always there, you know, or something like that, where it's like, you're consistently getting this input of a situation or a given like mindset of this person, you know, 
And it's like, well, that must be that they're like, they're always like that. No. And it's like, no, they're not, you know, and you have to be okay with being a little upset around a friend or being not in your A game, because then you're going to say, you're going to hear from your friend like, oh, yeah, I had a pretty crappy day too. You know, and then you start that interpersonal reaction where it's like, okay, I'm starting to be more comfortable. Like I was saying with the ego and the persona, the ego being, you know, your perception of yourself and then the persona being what you show to the world. If you're getting more and more comfortable with your own self, then you're going to start saying like, you know what, I can actually start showing this around a little bit. I'm comfortable with that. You know, um, the guy mowing his lawn with his shirt off is probably going to be more fit than somebody who's doing it with a shirt on because the guy is jacked enough that he feels comfortable taking his shirt off. Right. You know, Oh, there, you haven't been to the gym in four or five months and you got a little flabby or whatever. And you're like, well, uh, I'm not going to take my shirt off today. You know, it's just not going to happen. Right. And it's the same way, you know, if you work on yourself and if you develop yourself, you're going to get better and better at being genuine and comfortable with who you are around other people. Uh, and so I think when you have a lot of like, internal blockage to that and then a lot of external input where it's what that says like we're all perfect you know don't show yourself unless you are as well you know that's hard that's hard for a human being to like reconcile reality with yeah especially when none of us are perfect so it's like then then it becomes a real issue um yeah i i mean I know for myself, especially like in high school, it was like a really difficult time for me because one of the things I struggled with the most was like, well, I was homeschooled and I had a lot of friends that weren't homeschooled. So it was like, well, this is like, it was a part of who I was, but I didn't want other people to see that because there's kind of the stigma that comes along with being homeschooled that you're just like, not cool. Right. So mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was a challenge. It was one of those things that I always kind of tried to, to hide or create this persona of a person who I wasn't, but it wasn't until like, it really wasn't until probably actually I, I got out of I, my senior year of high school, I started going to the community college for classes. And that's kind of when I was like, I can be my, like, I can be myself. And this is like my opportunity to be more true to who I am and not try to hide the things I'm interested in the person I am. And like, it's a, it's a really like, you feel like when you break down those like walls that you've put up to try to protect yourself, it's a freeing feeling. Like you feel amazing. You're like, Oh my gosh. And uh, like the crazy thing was, is like, as soon as I did that, the quality of like the relationships or friendships I had went through the roof because I was like willing to be vulnerable, vulnerable around other people and in turn, those people were willing to be vulnerable and have a more authentic interaction. Like we, we were able to have an actual authentic interaction with each other, a more authentic friendship rather than just kind of this like, I feel like it becomes one upmanship a lot when you're living this like fake, living in this fake persona. It's like, well, I did this. And then the next person's like, well, I did this. And then it's just like one up and, and you know for a fact that that person hasn't done any of that. It's like the guy in the gym that like, if you say to the guy in the gym, well, I can bench like 225 and he kind of takes offense to that a little bit. He's like, well, I can bench 315. And you're looking at this guy like, 
you can't bench 315. But you're like, you know, if he thinks he can lie to me and tell me that he can bench 315, I can bench 335. Like, and then it, it just becomes this thing. And then you get to the end and you're like, why the heck did I do that? Like, why did I just go through that whole interaction when I could have been like, yeah, man, like it's been a while. It's been like four months and my bench sucks right now. And you could commiserate over how badly your benches are going like at, at that time. Like, so I don't know. It's just, I feel like the first step to having a quality relationship with somebody else um, or trying to make yourself better. I think especially when you're trying to make yourself better is like, you have to admit like where you fall short. Like you have to recognize where your weaknesses are. It's just kind of like, like with like recovery, like if you have an addiction, the first step is recognizing that you have a problem. And until you do that, like there is no, I mean, you're never really going to fully heal or reconcile the issue that you have. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's, it's easier the whole like college or high school to college um, transition. I think is always a little primordial, honestly. Um, because you know you look at lions and you and you see like when a young lion like a male lion becomes uh an adult there's either going to be a fight where he gets kicked out or he's going to take over the pride you know and um and you have this situation where okay what uh what's gonna happen you know and you're in your dad's house or whatever and you're like well I'm either staying here, or I'm going to college. It's like, well, obviously there's this deep set drive in me to, to go out and do my own thing. And then, you know, you immediately have this disconnect. Well, like these kids that saw me grow up from like a, a prepubescent, like kind of like klutz who didn't really know what was going on, you know, slowly to young adulthood, you know, that's kind of hard to like, convince them that you're a different person now you know even even having like such a big family you know i may have not seen a sibling for like a year and it's like hey ryan how's it going it's like i have changed so much in the last year because i'm in this like you know i'm pretty young I, i've got this developmental stage just pretty accelerated from when you saw me when i was like going like 13 to 14 you know not big deal you know same with 66 to 67, you know, but when you're in that younger, like going from teenage to like young twenties, that's highly developmental. So you have this sibling or this friend that's had this image of who you are with all of this back evidence. And then it's like, no, I'm actually different. It's like, no, actually I know I've known you for this long. So that can't be true. You're not different. Uh, and so it's, it's even just like basically hard to, to prove yourself different until you go out and do something that is other from what you've been around for most of your life. Would you say that's kind of like what you were talking about before in narration, um, like encountering a chaos and bringing order to it? Like you have to kind of go out to a new form in order to develop in the ways that you want to. It just seems like the times we most grow is when we have to face the most trial. And if we pull through the other side, that's when real change comes. 
I just was interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, um, I'm not sure if it's, I don't know if we were recording at that point, actually. We were talking about, I said, I don't want to be a stoic, but there are often times where difficult things are the ones that are developmental. They just, that's how it is. Um, and I think that's very true. And I think that's true because, yeah, um, right, the unknown or the chaos, you have the situation where, you know, it, there's this otherness from what you know, and you either have to learn or uh, burn, you know, and sometimes you learn because you burn, but hopefully it's not the situation, you know, uh, but there's this like malleable flexibility that you have to have. Um, and if you don't prepare yourself, like we were talking earlier with, you know, a lot of kids being raised with this very, very fixed expectation about how their life should go. And then, you know, it's like the difference between walking on a boat with your legs locked and walking normally, you know, you're so, like the sea legs, you know, you're supposed to have sea legs in this world, you know, you've got to have them a little bent, you got to be ready for a little tossing. Uh, and if you walk out there with your knees locked, thinking like, no, that this is how this is going to go, like you're going to be in the drink before you know it. Um, and so as far as like the chaos goes, that I think, Tom, you're referring to Carl Jung talking about the chaos of the unconscious mind um, and being able to look at one's mind as something that's growing and developing and introducing scary new things to your your conscious mind um, is like like absolutely fundamental if you want to grow at anything. Um, I could talk a lot, a long time about like just like self development. Like I am, I have a long journey to go before I want to be anything. Like before I am anything near like what I want to be. But it's definitely something that fascinates me. It's something that's I I think an amazing thing and. The, like possibly the best thing you can do as a person, you know? Kind of seems like that's our mission here is to see who we can become. Mm -hmm. You know, what that means around us. So I'm definitely with you there, Brian, thinking that it's extremely fascinating. I mean, I've been kind of hooked to personal development things since I was 13. Um, I picked up a book from my dad's shelf called How to Live Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I picked it up actually, it was kind of funny, um, to make better friendships because I was really bad at it. And I started reading this book and I like couldn't put it down. I was just, I'm like, well, this is like how you talk to people. This is what you think. This is what you say. You know, just like general formats, you know, like how to listen, how to speak in response. And from that, it's just been really fascinating to understand really our role in life and self-development really is to see like how well you can grow develop and like optimize the things that you can so that you can do the most good it's it's really fascinating so i'm gonna go to there Yeah, we all have uh, we all have different limits and different capabilities and different gifts, but um, 
you gotta you gotta look at it like you're you're looking at it really, Tom. And it's it's not something that's like, oh, this is scary, you know. It's like no, it's not actually as scary as you think. It is terrifying because no one likes messing up in front of somebody else, mm-hmm. you know. But if you're willing to do that, then you know the world's don't, like it's it's your oyster because mm-hmm. if you're really pushing yourself, then you're gonna mess up. Like no one who is doing something without any failure at all is actually pushing themselves. And if they're doing it, like, you know, if they're on another level, it's like, okay, that person actually needs to be pushed even more because they're like, you know, just kind of putzing along level is a lot higher than everybody else's, but everybody else is saying, oh, they're achieving so much because, you know, it's next level. But in reality, it's like, no, they need to be pushed hard until they at least, you know, start getting that stage where it's like, I'm actually impressed. You know, I'm actually feeling like I need to start learning more about what I'm doing here and and pushing myself in such a way that, you know, there is a balance between order and expected order and unpredictability. Um, Because if your life is all order, um, then you you have it coming. Like it's it's only a matter of time before complete chaos you know, comes into your life and you don't know what to do with it because you're, you weren't prepared, you know, you didn't account for it. Um, and I think, you know, having that balance between the two is super important and also having the mindset that you're talking about like this, you know, let's get after it and let's keep building it instead of saying like, I'm, I'm scared of, of going opening that can of worms because it is a big can of worms, uh, but it's one worth, worth opening. Yeah, because it kind of um, it unravels a lot of the mysteries. Well, not unravels. At least it shows you a lot of the mysteries of the world, and it makes life so much more exciting. Like, I I don't know if you've listened to this, Ryan. I've recommended this talk to so many people because I think it's the best talk I've ever heard in my life. Um, but it was a talk um, Jordan Peterson did about a half a year ago at. Um, the library in Ephesus. Apparently, it was bigger than Alexandria at its height. And it's, the talk is called The Logos at Ephesus. So he's outside the ruins and he's giving this talk about the idea of order and chaos in the mind, spoken language, what that means with Christianity, Christ being the Logos, how we're made in the image likeness of him, and then how we bring order into this world. It's phenomenal. It's so good. I really recommend it. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson. To the point where I'm scared of name dropping him because then, like, who knows what's going to happen with the conversation because. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I I was, I was kind of thinking, I was like, you mentioned the whole getting up thing, you know, getting up and and, uh, getting up early to see if your um, opposition gets up with you. And did you pull that from Peterson? Because I literally yesterday saw a clip where he said almost the exact same thing. I was like, I wonder if Ryan watched that video too. Yeah, I know. I 100% did. <laughs> okay. I was like, that sounds very much like what I heard from Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just so phenomenal. Like, I, I am such a big fan of him. And obviously, like, I do not agree with everything he says. Um, and I'm not just saying that to be one of those people that's like, I don't agree with anything he says. But it's like, I don't, but at the same time, like, I have, like, immense respect for that man, and um, 
as someone who is trying to go into the psychological field, you know, definitely in a lot of ways, look at him as like a pretty amazing example of like what you can do in that, in that field and for people. It's truly remarkable. And it's just like what he says, just being dedicated to the craft of learning and trying to help with what you learn. It's really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. The takeaway, I mean, like, know yourself Mm. very short easy phrase to say but you're going to take till the day you drop to do it you know Mm -hmm. and then carl jung has this quote it's not word for word but i'm paraphrasing and i think i used it in uh my oration but it's like not a lot of people achieve self-consciousness and those who do generally pay it forward with neurosis or something far worse you know Mm. Um, and that's because it is such a challenge. It's such a challenge and it takes a lot of grit and it takes a lot of resolve. Um, but you have to decide whether it's worth it to you, you know, and it's kind of a blue pill, red pill situation, you know, like is what I don't know going to hurt me or, you know, you well, yeah, it is, you know, if you, if you don't know you're a terrible sport, then every bad sport you come across, you're going to get twice as mad at because you're going to project your fault onto them. And that's going to happen in your marriage and your relationship and your coworkers. Uh, and, you know, you got to work as hard as you can to illuminate as much as you can in order to really have a grip about uh, like, okay, what's going on in me and what am I, and what am I projecting, you know? And that's yeah. kind of like WCC, you know? It's like, I keep seeing WCC, Wyoming Catholic College, wherever you go, you know? Yeah. Like, it's essentially, like, you pay a lot. You know, you pay a lot of stress. You pay a lot of anxiety. You pay a lot of, like, tough, tough grading. You pay a lot of, like, small school drama. And you get a lot out of it. But, you know, everything that is good for you is going to have a price. Uh, that was my last my last bit there. Aiden, what were you going to say? No, I think it's – I think – along what you're saying there i think it's really important to like go through life and really i think the if you if you lived a a full life if you lived a, a meaningful life you'll grow grow old and learn what you're capable of and i think understanding um your capabilities and exercising your capabilities to the fullest are like really it's like very important i think there's a quote actually from socrates where he talks about it in a physical sense where he says it's a shame for a man to grow old without seeing of the the beauty of which his body is capable of and i think that like that idea of really pushing yourself in in your capabilities to grow those capabilities to the fullest extent is so important whether it's your mind whether it's your body whatever it might be like that's it's if you want to have a fulfilling life, that's what you need to be striving for. You need to push yourself. Um, you need to you need to develop those capabilities because once you understand what you're capable of, then you can experience life to the fullest extent. Yeah, amen. Sounds good. Well, I don't want to keep you up too late, Ryan. We we can keep going for a while, but yeah, we could probably like keep going and turn this into like six podcasts. But it has been 
what like an hour and <laughs> hour and 30 minutes and, yeah. and it it's what uh, yeah you're on the same time zone as me so it's 11 p.m over there in chattanooga so yeah 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 well i really enjoyed this guys I, i'm glad we, we chatted and yeah definitely uh hit me up if you guys want to ever want to talk again or whatever but yeah for sure yeah yeah. Area. yeah this was this was great yeah we'll have to get um Alyssa. Alyssa, you and Alyssa on together. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to plan it out. I, I know schedules are crazy and trying to co coordinate like three people's schedules is hard enough, but then trying to throw like a fourth in there just is like a whole new dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> so, Leveled up in difficulty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you're welcome anytime. This was a, this was a fantastic uh conversation so I'm, I'm glad we got to do this um good stuff but yeah so thanks for everybody that listened to this conversation today um hope you guys enjoyed it we'll be back next week with another episode um but until then be safe be prepared fight for what you believe in but most importantly be a good american god bless <laughs>